From LibertyCast Studios and the Defenders of Capitalism Project, here's another capital idea from your host, Mike Williams. Mike Williams here, defender and champion of laissez-faire capitalism. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Capital Idea Podcast. This is Michael Williams, your host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mitch Whitus. Mitch, it's been a while since I've talked to you, and it's good to see you in the studio here. Well, it's nice to be back, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to our conversation tonight. We we decided to talk a little bit about the free, my free, your Freedom Trail, I should say. I, I call it Your Freedom Trail, which is a little story I tell um, that it tries to connect the whole idea of capitalism to uh, economic, or the idea of capitalism and economics to the American founding. And I'm hopeful that you'll help me uh, draw out some ideas in terms of the lesson from this story. But I was wanting to tell everyone that I had the honor of actually um, attending a reception and uh, dedication tonight for uh, a great capitalist in the Denver area. The guy's name is Charlie McNeil. He's actually a petroleum engineer, and he has been on the foundation for Colorado School of Mines for, for a long time. He's a, he's a graduate of Colorado School of Mines 50 years ago. This is actually a 50-year uh, anniversary of his graduation, and he, they were dedicating uh, the McNeil Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Colorado School of Mines. It's so pretty I was amazing. Over there, yeah, I was over there this evening, and you know, he was cutting a ribbon and showing off the new building, and He's a uh, an engineer first, um, a petroleum engineer. He's a, he started a company called uh, Next Gen Resources, which is a natural resource, uh, uh, coal, natural gas, oil, other resources, real estate. He's I think he's probably started like fifteen or sixteen different startup businesses in his lifetime, but very successful entre- entrepreneur who is a great capitalist who's now, quote, giving back to the School of Mines, and uh, and they have, they decided to have this multidisciplinary school where they took engineers who were all, you know, studying math and science and engineering, but then give them a little bit of a taste of business and entrepreneurship and, and actually being able to say, okay, you might be doing some great technical work, but you ought to learn about the business world uh, before you, you know, graduate. And I think it's a great idea, you know, especially um, my observation. I'm sure you might share this, Mitch, uh, you know, that what's going on in most college campuses around the country is not the best, you know, not necessarily the best of, uh, of what could be happening in college. I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan of higher education today. I think there's a lot of poisonous ideas, especially if you're uh, if you're a – uh, principled capitalist, you you understand that that's sometimes the enemy, you know, on, on higher education campuses. So it was great to see uh, Charlie McNeil honored, and uh, and for them dedicating this new part of the Colorado School of Mines um, campus. And his his lovely wife Judy was there, and and there was a, a good crowd, and and it was great to see that they were opening up this new center for entrepreneurialism and capitalism. And I kind of connect that to this, this story that I tell about uh, the free, your freedom trail. I think, Mitch, you've heard me talk about this before, right? I've heard you talk about it, but I have never been. So you've never been to Boston? I've never been to Boston. Okay, well, I mean, hopefully uh, um, 
you'll get a chance to go sometime. I would highly recommend it. I think anyone who's a, a, a patriot and a uh, and a capitalist, uh, pro capitalist, pro. I know you're a fan of the American Revolution and and the achievements of the founders, and I would recommend it to anyone. And I, and I, it was a big thing for me. I, it was like a pilgrimage for me to take my daughters uh, every year before they uh, reached the eighth grade um, to make sure that we did a an individualized trip, which each one of them separately, um, a little vacation, a little kind of you know daddy daughter thing where we would. Uh, we would take a vacation before they reached the eighth grade, and that was significant to me. I'll talk, talk to you about that in a second. But for anyone who has who has been to Boston and knows the Freedom Trail, they know it's a kind of a touristy thing. There's this white, or I should say, red line that's painted throughout the city. It's basically a walking trail uh, for people to discover and go into um, and have tours of the historical sites of the American Revolution. And so it's a red line that's painted. Sometimes it's you know really on old brick, and you can you know it's sort of faint, and sometimes it's very bright, uh, depending on where they've you know freshened the paint. But it's a it's a walking tour, a historical walking tour of the city of Boston, particularly about the American Revolution, and it covers all these great historical sites. Um, it, you can you can kind of hop on, hop off wherever you want to. Um, but it, it's it's going you know some big name sites. The USS Constitution and the Harbor is there. You can go to Bunker Hill, and those people who know history know that the battle didn't take place on Bunker Hill, but was on Breed's Hill. And there's a whole story about why that was the case, why it was misnamed. They, um, you can go into the Old North Church and think about Paul Revere. You can go into Paul Revere's house and see you know see how he lived. You know, the kind of the kind of uh, accommodations he had in his home because it's preserved. You can go into the old South Meeting House where they where they would meet and, and uh, plan the revolutionary activities. Um, you can see in Boston Common uh, the the statue of Robert Gould Shaw, um, who is a figure um, later on in the, in the Civil War. Uh, in fact, there's a movie made of it. I don't know if you've seen the movie Glory. Yes, I have. Great movie. Yeah, I would highly recommend Gl- Glory to to anyone who's a history buff. It's a uh, it's about the Civil War, but there's some big name actors. Uh, really well done. Uh, really well done, both from a, a um, you know a movie making standpoint, but also well executed that way. But a really great theme as well because it, it's got it, it's got Matthew Broderick. Broderick um, it's got Morgan Freeman, it's got Denzel Washington. Like I said, it's got some really big name stars, stars, and it's a great story about this guy, Robert Gould Shaw, who uh, is a white, fairly well-off person who decides he wants to fight in the Civil War for the North, and he organizes uh, a black regiment, the only black regiment, uh, fully black regiment, uh, to fight in the Civil War. And it's a really dramatic story and shows, you know, it, it's got a lot of conflict and it shows the principles involved. So that's part of the the Freedom Trail as well. You can go to Faneuil Hall. You can go to uh, lots of, you know, uh, the the trail goes by lots of, again, touristy places and restaurants and shops. And you can go into the, you know, the, the North End and eat, you know, Italian food to your heart's delight. I mean, well, that doesn't seem quite right. Like, I'm <laughs> not going to go to the Freedom Trail and eat Italian food. You got to. I mean, there is no better <laughs> Italian food than potentially in, in the North End of Boston. Um, 
And of course, it goes to uh, uh, Boston Commons, which is you know the the big park, um, and that's also uh, you know in my mind a lesson in and of itself because there's two parts to Boston Common. There's the part that's actually the Boston Common that's uh, you know uh, it's a public park and has always been really uh, from historical times, and and it's got you know a lot of homeless people and a lot of junk and a lot of trash. And then there's one that's private. There's a part, section of the part that's privately funded and it's gorgeous. You know, it's got, you know, manicured lawns and flowers and sculptures. Um, all of Boston Commons great to see. Uh, you know, you, there's lots of stuff going on there. There's, there's like these little duck sculptures and there's, there's ponds and it's a beautiful, wonderful city park, but it does kind of contrast private versus public uh, funding of things. <laughs> But my – go ahead. No, I was going to say a story for another day maybe. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But my whole point was to uh, take my daughters on this historical revolutionary trail uh, because when most kids in the U.S., at least in Colorado, and I think this is true all over the country, at least in government schools, public schools, um, they want to go on this field trip in the eighth grade. Um, and it's sort of a field trip about civics. And about America and about politics and, and, and somewhat about history. But guess where they go? Washington, D.C. They go to Washington, D.C. That's D. where I went in eighth grade, that's right, by that's the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so they take them all to Washington, D.C. and they show them all the monuments. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I love the city of Washington. It's a gorgeous place to visit. Uh, it's got a lot of history. Uh, incredible, incredible uh, place to visit. But the whole implication is that, okay, kids, you know, before you're really in your formative years of thinking for yourself – we want you to make sure you understand that the seat of power is right here in Washington. It all starts here. This is where this is where everything happens. This is where important things happen. And they they don't ever really get, in my view, a proper foundation of the beginnings of the country. They don't really in today's world. They they're lucky if they study the Declaration and, and the Constitution. You know, civics is no longer even a term that people understand. In fact, history is not even a term that, that's describing our courses today. I mean, today you take something called social studies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really about history and it's not about facts. It's not about um, – it's certainly not about the American founding. Um, most kids in government schools today do not have, in my view, a proper understanding of the founding of this country. Um, and so they grow up – oftentimes becoming critics of the country that they were born in without ever actually understanding it. Or, or, or even they become activists involved in politics, and that's good if they are, uh, but they become activists without having a foundation for understanding the roots of the way this country was founded and the principles upon which it was founded. And to me, that was really important for me to instill in my daughter's minds that, okay, there was a revolution and it was it, it you know it didn't start in Washington DC Washington DC wasn't anything it was a swamp at the time still is yeah <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a whole other show it is <laughs> um but uh but you know it started uh in these these colonies uh, and and the characters who who um intellectually and principally said we want to make a statement to the rest of the world about why we're severing our ties from England and from the crown. They were doing this very thoughtfully and deliberately. Um, and it's it's a great, as I said, a great history lesson in the city of Boston. And it was very important for me to, to have my daughters learn about that. And, and I think of them starting their own freedom trail, 
them walking along that and, and, you know, obviously we were doing the touristy thing and eating ice cream and, and Italian food and so forth. And, but hopefully it instilled in them a little bit of memory about the importance of those things and taking it personally. Um, because I think citizenship is a very personal thing. I, I, we were talking before we started recording and it's a controversial thing sometimes to say, but I, I often say it that I don't think anyone is an American citizen just for having been born here. I don't think that's what counts. You know, it's, 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 you know, it is an accident of birth that you just, most of us grow up here, we're born here and we consider ourselves citizens and, you know, that means something to us. You know, I think it's important for someone to actively engage and claim and achieve citizenship. And that means understanding the founding and it means understanding um, capitalism as well. And that's the kind of connection that people don't make ever. Mike, I think that is such a great point because, you know, I look around our country today and people do not understand the difference between nationalism and true patriotism. You know, and I always think nationalism, everybody in every country feels nationalism, right? It's, as you said, an accident of birth that you feel an inclination towards other people in geographic proximity to you. And, and you feel like you're going to fight for that or that it's a special place. But patriotism, true American patriotism, it's not because you were born here. It's not because we live in close proximity to one another geographically. It's because America is more than just this, this territory of land. Exactly. There's a symbol. There's an idea to it. And that is so missing today. There's a lot of leaders – I'm not going to name them, but you know, I think our audience can imagine who talk about being patriotic, but I don't think have any idea the ideals of this country. No, you're absolutely right, and and that's that's partly because the culture has has uh, has slipped and has has adopted lots of ideas that are antithetical to Americanism, and I think it's important to actually uh, reclaim Americanism. I know. I know that can be controversial uh, when people say Americanism, you think you're special. Well, Americanism is a special thing. And, 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 it's, and as you said, it, it has nothing to do with the geographic boundaries. It has to do with these ideals, these principles. Um, and, and the other point I would make is that Americanism is, itself is a radical idea. I mean, when we look at it on a historical scale, if we look at you know, centuries – there's nothing that's ever come close to it in terms of the ideal of actually protecting the preciousness and the 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 rights of individuals of of each person having their own sovereignty over their own life their own choice their own ability to determine what they want to do and how they want to live and who they want to associate with you know the freedom of association the freedom to accumulate to achieve and accumulate property the freedom the freedom to speak your mind, uh, all those things are, that is what makes Americanism. But those are ideas and they're, they're sophisticated ideas and they're radical ideas. So that's a big part of what I wanted to instill with my children and that I, I uh, talk about in, as a foundation for capitalism. And, and oftentimes people think, well, you know, capitalism, I thought it was an economic system. You know, I, think, I thought capitalism was about economics and I might have a good feeling or a bad feeling about economics and, but isn't that seems like it's separate from politics or from certainly the American founding. And I say, no, it's, it's actually intimately involved. In fact, I feel like I believe that the founders were in one sense, the first capitalists. Of course, that, that's not true. I mean, anyone who was 
anyone who's an honest working person who wants to achieve more is in a sense a capitalist. And certainly if we go back before the founding or right around the founding, you have you know, the study of economics, uh, the, the study of economics coming along out of moral philosophy from Adam Smith. But capitalism isn't just an economic system. It, it's, a it's a political socioeconomic system that requires a certain context. And that context is what we're going to talk a little bit more about. Oftentimes, I'll talk to people, uh, you know, people who will listen to me talk about capitalism. I'll, I'll say that, you know, I'm just a, a walking commercial for commerce. And they'll look at me strangely and say, well, well, well you know, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, and I ask them, well, how do you feel about that term commerce? Or how do you feel about advertising? Right. See, well, being a business student, you know, I might have a different view right. on the word advertising. but. Sure. I'll tell you that if I were to ask my friends, my family, advertising feels dirty, right? And commerce, right. I love the word commerce, but a lot of people I could tell you, it it sounds insidious, right? Right, right. or commerce. profit, or Pro even business. Oh. You know, if you say the word business, well, you know, it, at best, it's a necessary evil. And, you know, people oftentimes will say, yeah, profit makes the world go round, but, you know, profit, that doesn't feel so good. And then I'll say, well... What about words like uh, sacred or reverence? Um, how do you feel about those words? And they usually feel differently about those. And, and, I, and then for, to bring it back to the founding, I'll ask, well, which of, those, which of those words or feelings would you say you have toward Americanism? And it, it's really interesting, especially in today's world, what kind, of, what kind of response you get. You have people who claim to be patriots, or maybe they're nationalists. Uh, or conservatives or, or Americans or, or, you know, whatever their view of themselves is, they, they have some deep feeling. Of, and it's closer to reverence when you talk about the founding. If you talk about the Declaration and the, the, you know, the Boston Freedom Trail and you talk about the Constitution and American exceptionalism, some people feel very special about that. Maybe they don't feel as strongly, emotionally, positively as the word reverence might be. But a lot of people do. I do. I personally do. I feel, I feel like I revere the founders. Yeah, right? I do too. Um, but, but there are people, and oftentimes they're younger, and again, it might, might be because they don't have this foundation, they don't have a, this understanding, but they, they, if you say, you know, the American founding, they don't have that, that, that feeling of reverence. But if you say, you know, what about business? What about uh, commerce? What about... Um, you know, profits, it's much worse. You know, they, they feel they have a much bigger negative feeling. Um, and it's interesting to know where those feelings come from, why someone feels that way. And, and oftentimes I'll use the, the phrase that uh, I got famously from, from Ayn Rand in Atlas Shrugged, you know, check your premises. Why do you feel this way? What is the premise that you are holding that actually drives you to feel that way about the, these words? But I am a walking uh, co commercial for commerce uh, or for, you know, an, a, in one sense, an evangelical for capitalism, you know, someone who, who believes that that is the only moral socioeconomic system. And for, other, you know, for people who've listened to this podcast for a little bit, they, they understand that. Uh, but it's because it is the system that actually enshrines and protects individual rights. And... Um, each individual rights, each individual's right to their own life and their own property and their own ability to trade. And my view is that the, again, I'm kind of giving it away, but I, I sometimes will ask, you know, what is, what is the best 
advertising campaign you've ever heard of? What's the, what's the most successful commercial or advertising campaign out there? And a lot of times they'll say, well, the Apple IBM thing or, or – What's or, the one where they throw the tire through the tire shop? Yeah. You know, through the window? Yeah, that's right. The discount tires, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, and people will immediately think, okay, what about what you know? TV commercials can I can I think of that are, were memorable to me? And I'll ask, you know, how do you feel about those commercials? Um, and a lot of times they'll think, you know, they were fun, they were good. I, I, they, in fact, one one statistic that's always interesting to me is that more people watch the Super Bowl for the commercials than they do the actual game itself. Yeah. Well, that's just reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't watch for the game, but. Um, yeah, you know, so people like good commercials. Right? Yeah, they they like commercials that move them, that actually make them feel a certain way. And and what I mean when I'm talking about the most uh, successful campaign, uh, advertising campaign of all time, is really the Declaration of Independence. Um, and it it's it and the principles that are in it, and the way they went about uh, advertising and evangelizing for it. Uh, and selling it to the to the American public at the time uh, has created you know an incredible explosion of human happiness, wealth, uh, uh, satisfaction, any way you can uh, measure human flourishing throughout the world. That, in many ways, started with the Declaration of Independence. Now, again, it's in fits and starts, and we're we're not in great shape, in my view, as far as actually recognizing those principles today. But it is the most powerful. Uh, campaign advertising campaign in human history. It's it, it's interesting to me that the founders knew that they had to sell it. Uh, they had to sell it to their fellow citizens. They weren't really. I mean, they they declared independence from and it was and it was addressed to King George, uh, but it wasn't. Re- he wasn't really the audience. I mean, they weren't just trying to flip off King George. Right. They were really trying to sell it to their fellow citizens because, as students of history know, it wasn't a done deal. Um, fully a third of the people in the colonies at that time were completely loyal to the crown and thought this was insane to say we're going to, you know, we're going to separate from the crown and not be subjects to the king. That was a foreign idea. How, how can I, that's what I am. This is part of my identity. I'm an English citizen and my rights come from the king who has the divine right of kings. Uh, You know, fully, fully a third of them were, were on the other, maybe not even a third of them were on the other extreme who were saying, you know, this is, this has just gone on long enough. We're not going to put up with it. We, we're being taxed. We're being, we're being oppressed by, by the crown. We're having to pay for all the things that the king has done uh, around the world. And, and we don't need this. This is, you know, we're achieving our own way in this new world. And we want to declare independence. And then, you know, a good third, as in, is in the case in any uh, social situation, there's a third who are just kind of social ballast. They're kind of going, you know, I just want to do my own thing, but I'm not really feeling strongly about, you know, loyal to the king or, or loyal to the to the the revolutionaries. But they had to make a sale. They had to sell. They had to persuade. Um, and that's a big part of what capitalism is about. Instead of using force on someone, it's persuading them, using ideas, using reason, using logic, using... Um, as I say, persuasion tools. And to me, it's interesting, you know, because the, the printing press had been invented, you know, in the 1400s, and they could have easily printed up lots of copies of the Declaration of Independence. But what did they do? They, they actually had, you know, scribes making these handwritten copies, and that was part of the campaign to show that they had, as they said, you know, they had 
something invested. You know, they, they had pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, and they took those ideas seriously. Um, and again, I, I feel like it's important for people to understand those ideas and make them how they're connected to to the economic system that we all are beneficiaries of, or at least were beneficiaries of when we had more freedom, uh, because we don't have capitalism today, of course. And I, I've mentioned this before. You know, we have a mixed economy. We don't actually have the kind of freedom that the founders established and, and had in mind, and, and there's a number of reasons for that. But uh, um, the Freedom Trail has to do with understanding what the roots of economics, um, and as I mentioned before, uh, the study of economics started out of the, the uh, basically the uh, Scottish Enlightenment, um, with Adam Smith and some of his contemporaries, um, and they were moral philosophers. And I try to boil it down to one basic quote from Adam Smith. Um, and the quote is, is, it's not from the benevolence of the butcher and the baker and the brewer that your supper ends up on your table. You know, it's just, they're just those, those artisans or, um, or business people themselves are not just feeling good about making sure they feed you they are looking out for their own interests. And, and Adam Smith talked about that a lot uh, in The Wealth of Nations and in giving birth to the study of economics. He found that people did better when they actually were free to do what was in their own interest. And, and it wasn't their benevolence. Uh, not, they still had benevolence. Most people have benevolence toward their fellow citizen um, and even more so under a free system. But the quote that I think people should remember from Adam Smith is it's not from the benevolence of the the butcher, the baker, and the brewer that your supper ends up on your table. And that just, you can universalize that. You can make a principle from that is that people aren't there to just serve your needs. They are actually serving their own needs as well. The the butchers making money and making trades, making commerce with, uh, with others. And so are you, if you're, if you're eating supper with the with whatever the, the labor uh, has produced or the thinking has produced from those, those uh, people, then you likely traded with them. On the flip side, I simplify again, uh, try to essentialize the, the opposite viewpoint. Uh, and this came from someone um, in one sense, you know, much later, uh, and it's Karl Marx. And Marx can boil down to, uh, you know, from each, the quote I use is, from each according to his uh, ability, to each according to his need. And those are two different opposite viewpoints. Um, The one says, no, self-interest is what drives economic behavior and actually ends up producing more for all. And that's Adam Smith's invisible hand. Um, And Karl Marx says, no, that what's essential is people's needs. Uh, Needs are what should drive things. And the, the people who, are, who have ability and who have something uh, need to sacrifice it for those who, who don't or those who need. Now, again, that's oversimplifying, but all of economics since that time period could be basically boiled down into those two viewpoints. Um, and the American founders, in using the language of Jefferson and the, and the committee who drew up the, the declaration, were obviously adopting. And it was interesting that it was simultaneous. You know, I don't. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the, the Wealth of Nations was published. Yeah, the same year of the Declaration of right. Independence, 1776. Uh, my friend Euron Brooks actually makes the point that the, there's a third accomplishment that happens even that same year, which even concretizes it, 
uh, and that's the the commercial uh, ad- adaptation of the the uh, um, uh, the cotton mill, um, and you know we you know, having having the ability to make uh, uh, cotton and um, uh, textiles uh, a much more profitable thing. Um, but the, it's interesting the timing of that kind of thing that happened historically. And one was one was a like I said a concrete uh, example of the two ideas: one political, one more economic. But those ideas are all tied into the same idea that an individual has a right to their own life, their own liberty, and their own pursuit of happiness, which includes, of course, their own acquisition of and uh, disposition of their own property. Um, whatever they produce. Um, so that's an important lesson for my children, for myself, and I think for most Americans to, to go back to and understand that economics itself is intertwined with politics, and both of them are dependent upon a moral view. And uh, that's, it's that, that moral view that the founders had that each individual uh, was sovereign that is being challenged today, and that's why we're losing capitalism, in my view. And I think for people to be happy and thriving, they need to go on their own freedom trail. And I say sometimes they have to go on and off the red line. And so I mentioned that you know the Boston the Boston Freedom Trail is this this red line that's painted painted throughout the city. And and what's sometimes interesting when you bring children on that trail, they stay right on it. I mean, they don't. De- they march on the red line. Right. They don't want to get off the red line. In fact, they'll they'll see a crowd who are all kind of gathered around some historical site, and they're occupying most of the red line, and they'll stop, and they won't want to get off. That. <laughs> they'll they'll either want to march through the crowd, staying you know, foot over foot in front of themselves. Uh, and my analogy is that sometimes Americans who are have sort of automatized the feeling. Uh, of patriotism and good feelings about their country, um, don't ever get off that and challenge it. And I think they should. That doesn't mean, you know, as, as I've said, I revere the founders and believe that they created the, the only moral system in human history, including the idea of you being able to control your life and your property, which is capitalism. Um, but you can't do that roadly. You can't, you can't do it uh, in an automatic robotic way. You can't say, I'm an American and I have this birthright to this kind of freedom or else you'll lose it. You have to adopt. You have to engage. You have to understand it. You have to, you have to digest it. You have to understand those ideas and, and really digest them to really claim that citizenship that I believe you have to achieve. And that's my point by telling the whole the whole Freedom Trail story. Yeah, I think it's such a good metaphor for for our culture today, Mike. And I've brought this up before, but I think that actually understanding the principles of the founding, like you said, one that's not really something that's happening these days. But two, it's so important to understand what it actually means to be an American, and it's not just about going up on stage and hugging the American flag and, you know, feeling good. It's about these ideas and it's about the people and it's about the feelings 
the spirit of 1776. And uh, I, I think people on, on every side of the political spectrum are really drifting away from that today. Yeah, you and me both. And I, I think, so in, in my view, the, a person has to either challenge for themselves uh, those ideas and be able to digest them and realize that they're revolutionary principles from a, from a historical standpoint. And the key ones are, in my view, celebrating individual sovereignty, you know, that a person, each individual is precious, they own their own life, they own their own mind, they own the fruits of their mind and, and, and their body, um, and no one should be able to take, take them away. That's an abstract idea, and we don't have that today. I mean, we have regulations left and right, uh, taxation left and right. Those are all impositions by force upon an individual. So in, individuals, in a sense, don't have sovereignty in today, today's world as it stands right now. They may feel free, but we don't have that same kind of freedom, and we should be fighting for it. Second of all, I say that people should reject tradition for tradition's sake. I don't think that uh, – I mean, obviously, things that are, are, are tradition and have been around forever, many of them are time-tested. There are many ideas that are time-tested and, and should be adopted, uh, but not just because they're – because someone told you to, and that's how we have always done it. Not just because they're traditions, but because they are right, because they do meet the test of time, or because they are logical, or they're more congruent with human nature. Um, but if it's just a tradition, then I think it's worth re- rejecting, unless there's some someone can make a case. Now, again, I think the founders and lots of people since the founders have made the case for freedom. And you know, we sometimes talk on the Defenders of Capitalism program or this Capital Idea podcast that. Any way you look, if you're looking honestly about proof, if you want proof, capitalism is the system that allows for the most human flourishing in, by any measure. Um, and so people need to look at those facts. The third thing is I think they should people should embrace American exceptionalism. They should embrace the idea that America is an exceptional country for those ideas, those specific ideas, not just because of the geography, as we've said before. Um, and lastly, I think people should, and this is the oftentimes the one – uh, really controversial one, but rejecting multiculturalism, rejecting egalitarianism, every culture isn't the same. Now, I ha- I've had people challenge me on that, and I think it's important that they do. They digest this because I don't mean that you reject the idea of diversity or um, immigration or, or, or something immigration. Like of course that. not. I mean, yeah. immigration is is one of the most positive things about America. Now, again. We're not going to dive deep into immigration today, um, and there there is some controversy about how that's done. I think most people should be challenging the welfare state instead of immigration. Um, that's crucial, and, and we can talk more about that. But but cultures are not automatic, as we said. You know, the American culture of freedom, this exceptional idea, is not automatic, and we're losing it because we don't understand it well enough, and we're, we're not fighting for it. People should reject cultures that that are oppressive. I mean, you could say. There was a culture in Nazi Germany that we should reject. There's a culture in Saudi Arabia that only just recently allowed uh, women to, to go out at night or to, to have a driver's license. That's an irrational culture. That when, it, that when they're oppressing, oppressing uh, half their population, the female population, um, and not allowing for their freedom, that's, that's a bad part of their culture in my view. And it's okay to judge that. It's okay to say that's not just another way of looking at the world. It's a bad thing. It's, it's, it's stupid and we should reject it. You know, obviously, 
the 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 great case in America is is the slavery case. I mean, the the, the slave culture in the South was bad, and we should judge it and right. say, you know, we should reject it. Um, so, and and the same thing is true of when we see a good culture, when we see a culture like America who actually dealt with slavery. Historically, the only country in the world who who really made it a problem, who who said we need to reject this tradition because slavery was a tradition for centuries, even prehistory. Uh, there's there's evidence we we had slaves. Uh, the, the the cultures had had slaves, so it's a it's a positive thing about America that we made it a problem and changed the, our culture that way, or that we recognize people for their individuality instead of their race or their gender or their tribe or their co- whatever collective you want to you come up with. So those are some of the key key principles. And again, I uh, it's very important for me to to uh, make sure anyone I'm associated with, and certainly my my offspring at least are exposed to these ideas. And I think, I think uh, if, if more and more Americans actually do dive into the, the, uh, the founding and the association that it has with rational self-interest, with voluntary trade, voluntary association, those things that are essential to capitalism, including property rights, um, then we'll, we'll put ourselves on, on the right track. And, and I'm, as I said, I'm an advocate uh, and unapologetic about uh, defending and championing capitalism, and I think you are too. Well, absolutely, Mike. And this has been—it's been so fun to hear you talk about the the red line in Boston and and using that as a metaphor. I, I think that that's been a great conversation today. And I I wanted to just throw in something else here. You spoke a little bit about Adam Smith, and if anybody's interested in learning more about Adam Smith and and economics afterwards. Deirdre McCloskey has written a lot on Adam Smith. So that's another place to go in and delve deeply if you're interested in learning more. Absolutely. I hope I hope it's an ambition of mine to have Deirdre on my podcast at some point in time. Oh, that would be great. I, th- I think we, you know, we could, uh, if we could get her, we could really uh, uh, dive deep on, on some of the great research that she's done and some of the, the wonderful ideas that she has in defending these ideas. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah, thank you, Mike. It's been great. It's been great. I uh, look forward to h- having you guys join us again. 